Turn your Bibles tonight to Proverbs chapter number 18. Proverbs chapter number 18. Proverbs chapter number 18. I'd like to read two verses to you tonight, and then we'll go to the Lord in a word of prayer. They're the first two verses of this chapter. Proverbs chapter 18, verse number 1. The Bible says, Through desire a man, having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. A fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time that you've given us to be in this place. And Lord, it's a precious place that we're gathered here tonight with precious people. I'm so thankful for the encouragement I get from being at the midweek prayer meeting. But Lord, I've come tonight and as much as I enjoy seeing every person here, it's not them that I've come for, Lord. I've come for you tonight. I want to hear from you. I need to hear from you, Lord. And I pray that as we approach your holy, inspired, inerrant word, that it would live and breathe in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, we know that it is living and breathing indeed. But help us through obedience, through sincerity, through being willing to receive the word of God, to allow it to take root downward and bear fruit upward, to manifest your will and your desires in us, and that you might be pleased through our obedience. Lord, I love you. I pray for all these requests that have been given, Lord. They would certainly escape my memory but you've not forgotten a single one. So I ask that you would work in them according to thy will. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Over the last few Wednesday nights, we, we've not, I've not called it a series. I've tried to quit calling things series because as soon as I call something a series, God changes my direction. Then I preach on something else. Amen. But, uh, we have over the last month or so, uh, probably not exclusively, but we've pr- preached a little bit out of the book of Proverbs on the topic of wisdom. We've talked about the value of wisdom and the attaining of wisdom and and how wisdom is needful in our lives. I don't know about you, man, but I need wisdom. I don't have within me through intuition or through uh, my plain sense the ability to navigate through this world. I told my wife the other day, you know, just looking at lost people in this world and the decisions they're making, it would terrify me to think that I had to go through life trusting my gut instinct, trusting the counsel of others, and just groping through the darkness, hoping beyond hope that the decisions I made were good decisions. I don't know about you, man, but I'd probably climb in my bed and pull the blanket over my head and never want to look out. Because the reality is that many of the matters of life are far too important to leave up to our gut instinct. They are far too crucial to leave up to intuition. And you and I as born-again believers in Jesus Christ, indwelt by the Spirit of God, guided by the Word of God, I'm thankful to report we don't have to go by instinct. We don't have to go by human counsel. The Word of God and the Spirit of God can instruct us and guide us in our lives. I need wisdom, and I trust that you need wisdom as well. And when I read through the book of Proverbs, of course, most of us are aware that it is a book of wisdom, not merely a book containing wisdom for all of the word of God contains wisdom, but it is a book that a large portion of it is devoted to the topic and concept of wisdom. Solomon made wisdom in many ways his life's pursuit. It's interesting to think that the wisest man in history did not uh, grow satisfied with his wisdom, but his wisdom spurred him to seek more wisdom. What does that say about us when we think we don't need wisdom? Does it not betray a foolishness of heart when we think we've got it all figured out? When we think we know what we're doing? Because the wisest man that ever lived knew that what he needed more than anything else was indeed wisdom. 
And so through the book of Proverbs, he deals heavily with this concept, this topic of wisdom. How would we define wisdom? Wisdom is not merely knowledge. It is not merely education. I would probably define wisdom as the spiritual application of knowledge to our lives. What I mean by that is taking what we know to be true from the word of God and applying it appropriately in our lives uh, in a spiritual sense, not meaning spiritualizing away the truth, but rather applying it to our spiritual life. And I will tell you this, whatever other wise decisions you make in your life, if you've not applied wisdom to your spiritual life, then all those other things are of no importance. Uh, listen, you may you may have every one of Dave Ramsey's books. You may have all the all the different things figured out, everything budgeted and scheduled and planned and and allotted, and none of that will mean anything in your life if you've not applied the wisdom of God's word to the way that you live. And so the book of Proverbs deals with this topic of wisdom. But there is a phrase in our text tonight that when I read it jumped out at me. And I think it deals with maybe an aspect of gaining wisdom, uh, maybe a, a concept in pursuing wisdom that I think often, particularly in this information glut that we live in today, is often neglected. I want you to notice verse one with me through desire, a man and notice these next three words. Having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. I want to preach to you on this thought tonight. Separated unto wisdom. Now, what does Solomon mean when he uses that phrase? Well, I think what Solomon has in mind is a person who, needing desperately wisdom in their life, has isolated themselves away and has purposed in their heart to seek from the Lord the wisdom that they so desperately need. But it points out an important truth to me tonight, and that is this, that often what wisdom is available to us is drowned out by the cacophony of voices and influences that we permit into our lives. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand what I mean tonight. Hey, there's wisdom in a multitude of counsel. And certainly God gives us people in our life that can give us wise counsel. And I don't despise wise counsel from those that God has placed in my life. But I would say that we live in a time where there's experts everywhere. I mean, it don't matter where you look. It's it's the experts. Anytime the government wants to steal something from you, it finds an expert that will say that that's a good idea. It's interesting to me. There's always experts. Experts destroyed our country. Experts ruined our economy. Experts uh, put an entire generation of young people behind developmentally. Experts did all those things. And we live in this society where there's this infatuation with experts. But I would propose to you tonight that you and I, as a child of God, we don't have to surround ourselves with an eclectic group of experts for every different avenue of life we may face. Hey, we have a fountain and source of wisdom that far transcends what this world offers. And so what most of us need when we are seeking wisdom is not that we might get together with all of the brightest minds, all of the luminaries of the day, but rather that we might get alone with the God of all wisdom and gain his perspective on a matter. I want you to notice four thoughts that I see in this verse, and then I'll be done tonight, because the wisest thing you can do is not preach too long and make a church full of Baptists angry. Amen. Uh, notice the first phrase in our text. Through desire, a man, having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. Notice those first two words, through desire. You know why a lot of people don't have wisdom in their life? They don't want wisdom in their life. 
they're not willing to accept the reality that they need wisdom. And even if they recognize the need for wisdom, they often fear wisdom because of what wisdom will demand from them. But I'd say to you tonight, if you're going to have wisdom, the first thing you need is you need to want wisdom. Here in this passage, I see in these first two words, uh, seeing the need for wisdom. And in your life and mine, we're never going to have the wisdom of God till we see that we have need of the wisdom of God. I'm often struck by this world that, and we spoke about it a moment ago, just sort of groping through the darkness, and just the utter painful hubris and pride, arrogance that our world leaders have. I mean, it's remarkable that anybody would have nerve that has held public office in the past, oh, I don't know, 40 years, would have nerve enough to stand up and say, I've got the solution. You've got the solution. You're the problem. (laughs) It's under your watch that all this has happened. And think about the arrogance when the country is literally falling to pieces for somebody who has been a part of that for so long to stand up and say, oh, no, I've got the answer. I know what the right thing is. Now, that's a real easy thing for you and I to amen, because we all hate politicians. It's a spiritual gift. Amen. But, you know, you and I are just as guilty of that. Our life can be a mess. But instead of going to God and saying, Lord, I desperately need your wisdom. I desperately need your counsel. I need you to deal with me and and show me and teach me and learn me what I need in my life. We will instead puff our chest out and say, nope, everything's fine. Life burning down around us. Nope, everything's just fine. You know, the fact is, if you're not willing to see the need for wisdom, you won't ever seek wisdom. Notice two things that are sort of implied in this phrase. First is the absence of wisdom. We typically desire things we don't have. I won't say that's always the case, but certainly for the for the human being that that needs wisdom from God, that is the truth that we have to see the absence of wisdom in our life. We have to feel deeply that we don't have it all figured out. And the moment that you think you've got everything figured out, you have stagnated and ceased to be able to grow in the wisdom of God and in the help of the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that we ought to live our lives in a constant state of of doubt and anxiety over any underpinnings of truth or foundation of reality. No, we can stand firmly on the authority of God's word. But there is a, a vast difference between recognizing that God has it all figured out and thinking we have it all figured out. And if we're going to have wisdom in our life, the first thing we have to acknowledge, if we're going to desire it, the first thing that we have to sense is that we don't have what we need. I said a moment ago when we were praying, Lord, I need you. I need to hear from you. I need your wisdom. And even presently in my life, I'll go ahead and tell you, I don't, if, if there's any crises going on in my life, nobody has yet notified me of it, uh, which is not entirely uncommon when you're pastoring, amen. But, but just on a daily basis, I need wisdom. I have things in my life, decisions that I have to make. You have things in your life, decisions you have to make. And you can very easily be puffed up in pride and say, no, I'll just sort of figure my way out. I'll just make my way through and and I'll just sense my way through. Or you can humble yourself and acknowledge and admit that without the wisdom of God, your life will fall to pieces. In seeing the need for wisdom, he speaks of the absence of wisdom. That reminds me of what Solomon himself says is the purpose of this book in Proverbs chapter 1. He says the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice and judgment and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. 
What is implicit in all of those verses is that we have the book of Proverbs to give us something that we don't naturally contain, that we don't naturally possess. And that suggests that all those things, wisdom, instruction, justice, judgment, equity, subtlety, knowledge, discretion, all those things are things we are not just innately born with. It is a distinctly humanist perspective to suggest that somehow there's some inner light within us that we have nascent to ourselves. That's what the Amish believe. It's what a lot of religions believe, by the way. That they just have an inner light that if they'll just follow that inner light, that will lead them to some revelation of who God is. Man, that's neo-paganism. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that your heart is desperately wicked, deceitful above all things who can know it. The Bible teaches that your heart, far from being the compass of your life, is the corrupter, corrupter of your way. You need wisdom from God. He speaks of the absence of wisdom. But it also speaks of the importance of wisdom. Most of the time, the things we desire enough to pursue, we deem important in our life. And I will tell you that the difference between your life having joy and not having joy, the difference between your life being spiritually successful and not spiritually successful, the difference between your marriage being strong, between your children being raised correctly, between you having a testimony that pleases the Lord and having a a contributing life to to the local church body, all of those things are dependent on you having the wisdom of God. Listen, having wisdom is not just... Uh, some icing on the cake of our Christianity. It is not some added bonus or benefit that we enjoy just by dint of us being extra super spiritual. Hey, it is, it is, it is essential to our lives. Essential. Proverbs chapter number four drives this truth home. We preached out of this passage the other day. Solomon says, get wisdom, get understanding. Forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom, he says, is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Solomon made mistakes in his life, undoubtedly, although it wasn't because of too much wisdom. It was because of an unwillingness to heed God's wisdom. But he was a man that literally, because he placed wisdom first in his priority list, God blessed him with everything else that heart could desire. And that serves as a lesson to you and I that, listen, wisdom is not an afterthought. It's not we do our best and hopefully then we get old and can look retro, you know, respectively at our life and then figure out where we went wrong. You know, that's the world's philosophy of wisdom. That's part of the reason the world promotes this idea that, that wisdom is the proprietary domain of the aged. Well, the kind of wisdom the world can provide is because it can only come by dint of experience. But the word of God gives us a wisdom that is preemptive to the problems of life. We don't have to wait till we have gray hairs. We don't have to wait till we've got a long list of mistakes to have wisdom in our life. And we better not wait till then. That's a costly mistake to make. Instead, we ought to pursue it. It's the principal thing. So those first two words remind me of seeing the need for wisdom. But then this next phrase, through desire a man, having separated himself. Here Solomon speaks of separating ourselves unto wisdom. Now again, I think probably just the plain text of the word of God, what he has in mind is a person that gets alone and seeks God. But why is it important to get alone to seek God? In other words, if he's separating himself, that sort of suggests two things. This is an important principle. You've heard me say it before. But separation is always a double-sided coin. If you have one side without the other, then it's an incomplete principle. You're separating from something. You're separating to something. 
There's a great many people that are content to separate from the world, but they won't separate unto Christ. And then there are some that want to separate unto Christ, but without separating from the world. And how can two walk together except they be agreed? So separation always has two aspects, and, and it is just as, as damaging to ignore the one as it is to ignore the other. So we understand what he's separating himself to. He's separating himself to wisdom or the source of wisdom. But what then, may we ask, is he separating himself from? In other words, what do you have to get away from if you're going to gain the wisdom of God? Well, there's two things that jumped out to me, and probably there'd be 20 things if we if we pondered on it long enough. But the first thing is real obvious to me. We've got to separate ourselves from the influence of fools. There are fools in this world. There are. Uh, one of the, and I don't know when or if I'll get to preach it, but you know, everybody, anytime you call somebody a fool, somebody wants to quote the book of Matthew when Christ uh, warns against calling people a fool. By the way, he's warning against calling them a fool needlessly and heedlessly, just doing it as maligning someone. He's not talking about uh, someone that is calling someone a fool that is a fool. Amen. You say, well, what's the lesson? Well, make sure if you call somebody stupid, they're really stupid. Amen. God won't be upset at it. Uh, but it's interesting, there's several times throughout the New Testament when Christ calls people fools. You know why that is? You say, preacher, isn't that mean and unkind? No, really, uh, for a fool, it's probably the nicest thing you could do for him. Because hopefully they will heed that and turn from that. I know that many fools won't. But there are foolish people in this world. There are people that if you allow them a, a voice in your life, they'll make shipwreck of, of your life. And some of them, it'll be because it's malicious. Some of them are just incompetent. And their incompetence spreads like a cancer. Their bad decisions will be equally bad if they're applied to your life. And if you follow their example, they'll lead you into shipwreck. It reminds me of what the psalmist says in Psalms chapter number one. First thing he says, I mean, biggest book of the Bible. What's the most important thing God could say right out the gate? This is what he says. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. We see this all the time. I was a youth pastor a hundred years ago, and, and kids don't really change, so they're still the same today. But I used to see this with young people all the time. I mean, they would, they'd have godly parents in their life that loved them and prayed for them. They'd have a youth pastor that loved them and prayed for them. They'd have a pastor that invested in their life. And they'd go to some 15-year-old idiot friend and ask their opinion on some of the most important decisions of life. How foolish is that? But how often are you and I guilty of a similar practice? You ought to ask yourself this question. Before you ask anybody's advice on anything, you ought to first ask yourself, what qualifies them to give me advice on this matter? If their life is a wreck and a mess, and let me just, before I say anything else, let me say, I'm glad we don't have to have a spotless track record to have the wisdom of God. Certainly, if a pastor had to have a spotless track record on every decision he's ever made in life, wouldn't none of us be qualified to pastor? I'm not suggesting that anyone is above reproach altogether in their life when it comes to making foolish decisions, but it should matter what the credentials are of a person that you're seeking wisdom from. And one of the worst things you can do is populate your life with people whose lives are a mess. You ought to surround yourself with people whose lives you want your life to be like. 
Instead, oftentimes, pride and arrogance will cause us to choose friends of the lowest common denominator and people that we can, uh, through a various <laughs> purposes and, and, and motivations, have in our life, sometimes because they make us feel better, sometimes because we feel like we're taking care of them and fixing them and patching them up. But hey, there's a great danger in that. Instead, you ought to say, I want people around my life that uplift me in the Lord. Iron sharpeneth iron. Clay don't sharpen iron. You've got to have people that have some wisdom in your life. We ought to separate ourselves from the influence of fools. And one of the first things you can do when you're seeking the mind of God about a matter is quit listening to people that don't listen to God about matters. Quit listening to people that are uninterested in what God thinks about things. It doesn't matter if they have a, a nationwide podcast. It doesn't matter if they've wrote a hundred books. It doesn't matter if they're popular on all the daytime television shows run by all the pagans and occultists. It doesn't matter if any of that's true. What should matter to you should be, what do they do about the Lord? What's their relationship with the Word of God like? So we ought to separate ourselves from the influence of fools. But there's a second thing we have to separate ourselves from, and that's from the intuition of the flesh. You see, there's a lot of people that they would not listen to their friends, but they'll listen to, here's what they call it, gut instinct or gut feeling. I mean, I see it all the time. You've seen it. You can drive up and down the road, see churches that have stuff that intimate that idea on their church signs. Well, follow your heart, not your friends. And listen to your heart and, and, and do what you think is best. Man, what a bunch of garbage. Your, listen, the, in, your flesh is wicked and rotten. Your flesh is not sanctified. Your flesh is not, is not regenerated. Hey, one day we'll be given a new body like unto his body, but until that day, your flesh is just as lost as it was before you ever came to Calvary. Your flesh is just as rotten as it was before you ever came to Calvary. It's desperately wicked. It's hopeless. It receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. So Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 3, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And he says this, lean not unto thine own understanding. You see, you can't be trusting God with all your heart if you're leaning to your own understanding. In other words, don't assume you have the right answer. Go to God about the matter. Don't assume you know what is correct. Go to the Lord about the matter. He says, in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Don't listen to your flesh. Your flesh is wrong. Say, preacher, how do you know? Because you got the same kind of flesh I got. And mine's always wrong and yours is always wrong. Don't trust instinct. Don't trust intuition. you got a decision to make in life. Don't say, well, you know, I probably know what's best. Why would you think that? Have you noticed some of the decisions you've made in life? What would possibly lead you to believe that you could intuit your way through whatever this issue is? Instead, you need the wisdom of God. So he talks about separating ourselves unto wisdom. And then he says this, having separated himself, this is what he does. He seeketh. And intermeddleth with all wisdom. He describes us seeking out wisdom. In other words, before we ever begin the process of seeking wisdom, we first have to separate ourselves unto wisdom. We first have to see the need for it. I need the wisdom of God. Then we have to separate ourselves, shut out all the other voices that are, are not godly and are not scriptural, and instead listen to, yes, godly counsel, but predominantly the word of God and the spirit of God and his leadership. And then once we've got our heart in the right condition, then we seek wisdom out. Now, what does that look like? He mentions two things here. First, he mentions the process, and he uses two words to describe it. Seeketh, and I like this word, intermeddle. Now, what do those words mean? Well, the first is really obvious. It speaks of requesting wisdom. The word literally, it implies the idea of requesting or asking for something. And you know the first thing you should do when you need wisdom is you ought to ask the Lord for wisdom. 
I say this all the time, but, you know, it's funny. We have this idea that the altar is a place for people that have messed up. Well, thank God it is a place for people that have messed up. But it's also for people that don't want to mess up. It's for people that need to get things right that have gone wrong, yes. But it's also a place for people that want to keep things right before they go wrong. And so one of the best things you can do, you say, preacher, I've got a decision to make. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to say. Here's what you need to do. You need to go to the Lord about it. And you say, well, preacher, you mean all I do is ask him? Well, don't you believe in prayer? Don't you believe in prayer? It starts getting real obvious real quick whether we really believe in prayer when people start recommending prayer to us. If we bow up like they didn't give us any sort of solution, we obviously don't have much confidence in prayer. But the Bible has confidence in prayer. James chapter number one says this. Many of you quote this. If any of you lack wisdom, that's me. I'll stick my hand up. I'll stick them both up for that. Let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not and it shall be given him. So the first thing you need to do is you need to request wisdom. You need to go to God and ask for wisdom. Lord, I don't know what to do about this situation. Man, there's situations all in this room. And I ain't trying to embarrass. I, ain't trying. I know Mike's praying about job situation. I know there's other people praying about house situations, vehicle situations, job situations. We need the wisdom of God about those things. We don't need to just say, well, I'll figure it out. No, you won't. <laughs> no more than I will. No, we need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't know what to do about this decision, but I want your will to be done in my life. Guide me and and show me and lead me. And Lord, if you'll do that, I'll follow you in this matter. The first thing he speaks about is requesting wisdom. But then he uses this word. I love it. He says, and intermeddleth with all wisdom. That's an interesting word. It's found three times in your Bible. And of the three times, this is the only time that it is positive. The other times that it's used, it's used in a negative connotation. What does it mean? Well, it's pretty obvious, I think, for most of us what it means to intermeddle. If you don't know what that word means, you ain't been a member of a Baptist church very long. But it means to insert yourself into a situation or to involve yourself in something or to expose yourself to something. I like this. The word also has the idea of being obstinate, being obstinate. In other words, putting yourself in the middle of something and refusing to butt out of that situation. That's what it means. Now, that's how we'd use it in any other context of life. We'd say they're meddling. What do we mean? We mean they're getting right in the middle of this situation and they won't get out of it. Here's what the Lord says. Here's what the Holy Ghost says. He says, that's what you ought to do with the wisdom of God. You ought to get right in the middle of it and refuse to get out of it until you've got the answer that you need. (laughs) it's used in 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 proverbs chapter 20 verse 3 it says it's an honor for a man to cease from strife but every fool will be meddling means to not cease to not cease and here's how i describe it i describe it as us resolving ourselves to wisdom you know what we are so bad about doing you're probably not but i'm bad you're more spiritual than me i'm bad about doing this i'll have some matter that i'm that i'm needing god's mind on and i'll go to an altar I'll get down before God and I'll say, Lord, I need your guidance. I need your wisdom about this. And then I'll get up from that altar, having never gotten an answer, having never gotten any any guidance, having never gotten any direction. And I'm not suggesting you have to stay at a church altar till God gives you an answer. But often I will then go back home and say to myself, well, I asked God about it. I guess if he wants me to know, he'll tell me. You know, that's probably the worst attitude. I mean, I'm just talking about me. I ain't talking about you. You ain't never done this. But that's probably the worst attitude I could have. Listen, I need to know the heart and mind of God. 
And here's what Solomon says. He says, if you want the wisdom of God, you've got to plant your feet right in the middle of this matter of getting wisdom and not leave till you get God's mind about it. There have been times in my life, uh, shamefully few of them, when there's been a matter so important to me that I said, God, I, I can't walk away without having your mind about it. And you know what I found? I found if I'd stay there long enough, God, if for no other reason, probably get rid of me, <laughs> would give me an answer. He'd guide me. I mean, listen, isn't that the isn't that the the truth, the reality of the importunate woman in in Luke chapter number eighteen that that goes to the to the man and refuses to leave and just keeps praying and keeps praying and keeps praying and keeps praying. And you say, preacher, are, are you saying there's never a time to quit praying? No, there's times to quit praying when God gives you an answer. But we're so bad to quit praying before we've got any kind of answer. We don't intermeddle. We just sort of walk by the prayer clause, wave at it. Say, Lord, you know where to find me when you're ready to tell me. Instead of saying, God, I need your wisdom on it. So here I see the process of seeking out wisdom. But then, and I said it this way. I don't know if it's the best way to say it, but I'll explain what I mean. I see the prerequisite for wisdom. And I see it in this last phrase here. He seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. Now, how many of you know your King James Bible is inspired, inerrant, preserved? It's exactly what God wants it to be. There's nothing there by accident. It's all there because it's supposed to be. And if I was pinning this down, I probably would have made it a word shorter. I would have just said, seeketh and intermeddleth with wisdom. But the Holy Ghost said, no, write down intermeddleth with all wisdom. You know why? Because sometimes we want to be real selective about the wisdom we need. We want to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I got this job situation, I got this this house situation, I got this car situation, I got this family situation, and God, I need your wisdom about this. And then we get frustrated when he don't answer, but here's what he's doing. It ain't that he ain't talking, it's just he ain't talking about what we wish he is talking about. Oftentimes he will say, all right, we'll talk about that in a minute, but first, let's talk about this attitude you've had lately. Hey, first, let's let's talk about this thing I told you to do that you said no about. First, before before we get to that, and we'll talk about it, my child, but before we do, let's talk about that sin that you've refused to give up. We want to compartmentalize away our life such that we can selectively cherry pick the wisdom from God that we need, all the while dismissing and ignoring the other areas that we need wisdom in our life. Here's the prerequisite. We need humility. We need the humility to recognize that we don't just need the wisdom of God for the things that we want the wisdom of God. But we need the wisdom of God for every aspect of our life. And if we want the wisdom of God on certain matters, undoubtedly part of the territory is going to be we don't just get some wisdom. We're going to have to get all wisdom. And we're going to have to be willing to listen to the Lord as he deals with our life. So here I see the seeking out of wisdom. And then finally, and I'm done. I don't know how many times I've said finally, but not for the last probably. Look at verse 2 with me. It says this, a fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. Now, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? In other words, a fool doesn't enjoy understanding. A fool doesn't desire understanding. A fool doesn't seek after understanding. And a fool doesn't benefit from understanding. Now, when you look at this last phrase, there's probably two ways we could understand it. Just being scripturally honest, I'll tell you both of them, then tell you my opinion. Could be what it's saying is the only reason that the fool is interested in wisdom is to learn more about himself. That could be true. The only problem with it is most of the fools I know don't want to know anything about themselves. They want to know everything about you, but they don't want to know anything about themselves. 
they're not interested in discovering their own heart. So rather, it could be what that Solomon is saying here is that the only benefit a fool can get out of wisdom, the only benefit a fool can get out of understanding, or the primary benefit they can get is when God exposes their own heart and shows them their foolishness. Here, I'm going to use this phrase, I see us submitting to wisdom. And he speaks about the fool's disregard of wisdom. A fool doesn't value God's wisdom. You want to know if you're a fool? Ask yourself how important having God's mind about matters is to you. If it's secondary, if it's just uninteresting to you, if it's, you know, leave it or, or take it, and it doesn't really matter. If if God is, is willing to endorse what you're doing, then that's great. But if he's not, it's not going to change anything. Then you're a fool. It's what the Bible says. You're a fool. I would say in your life and mine, we often act foolishly. We often disregard the wisdom of God. But notice the fool's deliverance by wisdom. The fool disregards wisdom, but the only hope and help he's got is to heed the wisdom of God when it's given to him. Hey, by the way, that's why we all need church. Because there's times, especially when you start to learn this Bible, that you'll your flesh will start to learn which areas to stay away from, depending on what you're into. But we need the word of God preached to us because often we need to be confronted with the folly of our life and behavior. You know why? Because only wisdom can fix foolishness. It's not that we're foolish, so we decide to go get wisdom. It's that as wisdom is presented to us, we receive it, which then dispels and scatters the foolishness in our heart. And here's the most foolish thing you or I could do is to get the wisdom of God. And then disregard it. Now, I don't know about you, friend, but I need God's wisdom. And you probably do as well. In fact, I'm going to say with certitude, you do need the wisdom of God. How, what do I do, preacher? Well, the first thing y'all do is ask for it. Ask for it. Some matter that you're struggling. Hey, ask God about it. Some decision may be big, may be small, but you, you, you want it to be the will of God. Ask God about it. And, and you say, preacher, what if I don't get an answer? Well, don't quit asking him. Instead, plant your feet in the prayer closet, in your heart, in your home, and determine that you're going to continue to seek the Lord till he gives you an answer. Let's bow together tonight. The musicians going to come play. The altar's open. That process can begin here tonight. I know for many of us it wouldn't finish here, but it can begin here as we come to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your mind about this matter. So I invite you to come. Meet him in this altar. And bear your heart to him. Father, bless this invitation. May it glorify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in his name.